remember when I was teaching fourth grade, there was an issue I had with the time they allowed the fourth graders to go to lunch. I felt like it was kind of late because they were coming in at almost 8 o'clock in the morning and their lunch was close to about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So I instilled a snack time. And I said, we're going to have snack time now. And I, and I asked for their permission. They're like, that's cool. Now, on snack time, your responsibility was simply to bring your own snack. And so one of my students didn't bring in a snack at that moment. And he knew I always kept like a box of granola bars behind my desk just in case. And so he didn't bring a snack. I'm like, it's snack time. And he's looking. He's at his seat. And everybody's having snack. And he's looking, looking at me knowing he saw that box of granola bars. He said, you know, when he tried to fake it, he said. And he did the self-talk. I wish I had some snack right now. wish I had some snack. So he finally asked, hey, Mr. King, can I have a granola bar? I said, sure, that's what it was there for. I grabbed the granola bar, I handed over to him, and right away he was excited, like, oh, I got the granola bar. And then one student that had, like, maybe a little snack but was obviously still hungry, he just went, let's call him Joe. Hey, Joe, can I have a piece of that granola bar? You want a piece of my granola All of a sudden, it went from Mr. King's granola bar, just my granola bar that I thought about, like, whoa. He didn't want to share. Took his little granola bar all to himself. And I thought to myself at that moment, do we do the same thing with God? Where he provides something, and when it's time to exercise paying it forward or generosity, we're like, oh my. I want to talk to you this morning about expecting a harvest. Why do I bring up that, that, that illustration? Because if we're going to expect a harvest, we need to function opposite of what that student was doing at the moment. Expecting a harvest and us Working generously and sowing generously is connected. And this is no secret. This is no, this is no finagling of any text. The Apostle Paul is very clear in 2 Corinthians about this principle as he's using agrarian imagery to get us to understand the process of what sowing and reaping is all about and what it means to expect a harvest. So you're going to see words like seed and farmers and harvest. When I read the passage, when the Apostle Paul is trying to teach this agrarian society what it means to expect the harvest. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and then I'm going to read 10 through 11. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. It will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let me stop there. He's teaching them a truth that they can bank on. He's teaching them a truth 
that we can bank on. This understanding that when there's sowing involved, we should expect a harvest, but it doesn't always come the way we think it does. Let me unpack the ways he shows you how a harvest comes. If we must expect to reap, we reap a harvest inwardly is the first way. He says it right there in the text. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, listen, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, speaking to his original listeners, speaking to us in the here and now. And so the principle is this, we reap a harvest inwardly. We learn from this verse that God is the author of the whole process of sowing and reaping. He provides the seed, he gets us to sow, he's the author, he's the big kahuna, he is the alpha and omega when it comes to the process. And so so the truth then becomes, if we've experienced Jesus' sacrificial death for our lives, it should communicate what it means to walk sacrificially in our generosity. This is what he's pulling on in the text. In fact, when we sow of our resources, because Paul, if I'm going to be contextually honest, he's talking about their material resources at that moment. You can talk about sowing and reaping in a lot of other areas, but in this text, he's talking about their material resources. And he's saying, listen, when you align yourself and sow, you're aligning yourself with the very nature of Jesus Christ because he sowed his life so that we could have life more abundant. So that we can walk in alignment with him. See, the Apostle Paul doesn't have a theology for a stingy Christian. There is no theology in there to work out what a stingy Christian looks like. Is that possible to be stingy in a Christian? He's assuming since you've experienced generosity for yourself, that will flow naturally through you. Now we can all have real sticking points, and I get that. I'm not minimizing it. I'm just speaking what the text says. We align ourselves. And I love the fact that the harvest is not limited to just material blessing. He says, you'll harvest righteousness and material blessing. Now, I'll deal with that in the next point. But for this point, when we sow, there's a harvest of righteousness that we reap. Now, he's not saying we can buy our righteousness. That's crazy. That's unbiblical. That's ungodly. If somebody says it, run the other way. You can't purchase holiness. Righteousness is right standing with God and with people. You can't purchase that. But I believe what he's saying is, Corinthians, Christ Church, when we walk in generosity, when we sow, we're breaking off some stuff of us to enlarge our capacity for God. So when we sow, we're breaking off selfishness. When we sow, we're breaking off radical individualism. When we sow, it's tying me to who God is. And so we all need to break that off because it is natural, human, broken inclination to care about ourselves before others. It's natural. I need to care about me and mine before I care about you. It's a natural inclination. He's saying, hold on. When you sow, you harvest righteousness, though. It breaks something off of you. Your own selfishness, your own self-sense of radical individualism. It's all about me. Which makes you more like Christ when that stuff is being broken off you. 
It was interesting because now more and more, this is not new, but they're doing more research on the whole implications of generosity. And it was a, a Wharton professor by the name of Adam Grant, one of the best business schools. He said this when he conducted research to try to understand in his book, Give and Take, to try to understand what are the benefits of giving? What, what, what occurs at that time? And he says this, givers... He calls the rare breed of people who contribute to others without expecting anything in return are the most successful entrepreneurs. When he did his research, he found that there was a connection between people's creativity and entrepreneurship and their willingness to sow generously. He said there's a connection there in his book, Give and Take. And so it does something inwardly then when you sow or when we're functioning like this. You see, when I sow towards something like the work of the Lord, it knits me closer to us as a body. This no longer becomes this thing where I'm trying to understand this inward connection to say, hey, you know what? This is not your church. This is our church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you have some skin in the game, this no longer becomes y'all or you guys, what you should do. It becomes us, we, what we should do. It's not yours, it's our church when we come together. So something happens inwardly that goes perpendicular to radical individualism. It invites me into the community of believers to say we have a mission that we must continue to move forward. When I sow, I'm partnering with you, pastor, to say let us do the work of the Lord together. It's our church. And you see it different when there's our church and your heart is knit like that. I remember... During the softball season, before I was uh, functioning as teaching pastor, I would try to play for Christ Church softball team. And, and so I went, and I remember we would use the field at the West Campus, and it wasn't always the best kept. Sometimes, depending on the, the weather, there will be like little holes in the ground and all this other stuff. But, hey, it was our field. And I remember uh, uh, we hit the ball, one of our teammates hit the ball, and I heard the opposing team. It hit one of the little holes or little pot craters in the ground, and the ball went south, and our guy was safe and all that. And I heard him as he went to go get the ball. He goes, man, I can't stand this bleep, bleep, bleep field. Now, if he wanted to throw the bleeps in, that's between him and God. But when you curse the field, see, what was the difference? For him, this was just the field. For me, this was a church that I put blood, sweat, and tears, and resources, and I was sowing to get a hold of it. So for him, it was simply a game. For me, this was my church. And so what I'm trying to show you, this is not a, if you're in leadership or you're a pastor or that type of thing, this is a, my heart's connected with you type of thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. When you sow, you reap a harvest of righteousness and connectedness to one another. You reap a harvest inwardly. Because I'm expecting a harvest when I sow. And you know what I love about this principle, the first one, the inward harvest? That's an immediate one. Sometimes you have to reap a harvest and it takes time. Sometimes it's an immediate one. And right there immediately when you reap that harvest, you're breaking something off of yourself. The second principle, though, I want to pull. If I'm saying we're expecting a harvest, what does Paul set as the harvest? The second point is we must expect a harvest outwardly. 
And he does make room for that. And so 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. I just want to stop there. You can be enriched in any, every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And then he goes on to say, and through us we'll produce thanksgiving to God. But he says, when you sow, you are going to be enriched. He believed that. When you sow, you're not just going to harvest internally. There's a material blessing connected to the sowing. But look at the hope and the motivation that he gave us. He's saying, when you sow... The motivation is that I want to be able to sow and be a giver so that I could be a better, more generous giver going forward. I want to be able to sow so that the flow of sowing can continue to happen through me. I want to have more, Lord, so I can give more. Do you see what he's saying? It's not simply there is no theology for saying, Lord, I just want more so can I, I can explore blowing more on my own me and mine kind of material blessing. When you look at in the scriptures and people were prospered materialistically, when they were prospered, it was never so they can gloat. It was never like, I'm prospering, look at me, I'm fashionable, I'm the next big shot. It was never, I'm prospering so I can keep up with the Joneses. I'm prospering so I can Snapchat, look at me. Just God being good to me, good, look at God. And then in the background, you see the Bentley Coop, and you see what I'm talking about? That's God's blessing. It may be God's blessing. I'm not opposed to a nice thing, but I want to say, church, what Paul is saying, he said, I want you to have more. Why? So that you can be more generous on every occasion is what he says. That goes perpendicular to the mindset, I just want more just for me. In fact, even in the Proverbs, he goes, a righteous man will leave something, a, a, a storehouse, or they'll will leave up goods for generations to come. You can't do generations to come if you're blowing it all on yourself. So this understanding of material blessing leads to a social uplift of whoever God's connected me with. I want to make sure you're doing good. I want to make sure you're doing good when we all get blessed. Alcorn, Randy Alcorn, writes on the topic of generosity and giving very often. He said there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try to divorce our faith and finances, but God sees them as inseparable. You can't say, I have great faith in God, but my finances say other. That's what he's saying. Martin Luther put it very plainly. He said, I've had many things in my hands that I lost. The things that I placed in the hands of God, I still possess. So there's a connection between our sowing. And it gives space for desiring material wealth. But our hearts need to be open. It's a heart issue. The heart of the matter is generally a matter of the heart. And so we need to recognize that where my heart is, my finances will follow. 
If you value something, you're going to go after that. If you're big on a sport, you're going to pay the big money to go to the games. If you're big on, if you've got children in soccer, you're going to pay big money for the tournaments. If you're going to, why? There's nothing wrong. I'm saying, though, just follow. If you want to know what's going on in your heart, open up your bank account. And you'll be able to see. This is what's going on in my heart. But when we sow, we understand, listen, remember what I said earlier, he's the author. He's the provider. And we got to believe that. I remember when I was playing baseball, when I was younger, I was on the baseball team. And one of the best parts about playing baseball was sitting in the dugout and all the snacks that were in the dugout. And so we would go and everybody brought their own little snacks with them. But, but you know, me, I, you know, sometimes you bought the, I don't know how much it is now, but at the time the 25-cent pack of sunflower seeds and, and they had, do they still have 25-cent packs of sunflower? No, right? Uh, inflation, they're a dollar now? Okay. And so I remember I'll get the sunflower little pack. But, and you know, sometimes you have the little snack, maybe a leftover snack. But one of the guys, i never forget, my buddy Thomas, when we were in the dugout, he had the quality snack. I'm talking about, whoa. we were bringing out little sunflower seeds. My, my guy was like, he was bringing out the bag, the big old bag of David's sunflower seeds. We would bring out the fun size Snickers. My, he had the king size Snickers. I mean, dude, this dude was like high stock. It was no joke. Here's what blew my mind. He always had the best snacks. It was just like, man. You know, and at that time, contextualized in that sense, it's like he's rolling in dough, bro. You're like, this is big balling right over here. What's going on next to me? And so he would go, but here's what blew my mind. Thomas would give them out. I'm thinking like if I had the king size Snickers, you know, as a kid, I walked through the whole bench and be like, To make sure they knew they were dealing with fun size, but I was dealing with top-notch quality, baby. I'm here. And not Thomas. Thomas will go. He'll take that bite. Oh, you want one line? Oh, you want one. He tossed that bad boy to you. Toss that. He'll keep, keep him down. You're like, what in the world? Why are you telling this story? Here's the thing. I couldn't figure out why he was so generous. I really couldn't figure out till one day. Thomas invited me to his house. I mean, he was giving out consistently. Every game, he would give out to everybody, almost everybody on the team. You want one? You want one? You want one? When I went to his house, it all made sense to me. Thomas was a junior. His father, Thomas Sr., they had boxes of candy and snacks. I'm talking about boxes of candy and snacks to the ceiling in the kitchen. And I'm going like, what in the world? And then it dawned on me. His dad worked for a vending machine company, and whatever was left over throughout the day, they didn't want to keep it in storage. They had too much. They'll say, take as much as you want home. So the, his dad would bring all this home for him to share. Then it dawned on me further, now that I'm older, listen, listen, the reason why he was so generous is because he understood his father had more back home to give out so he can give generously because he always had a supply. I wish we would understand that our father has a supply that's greater 
greater than any of us can imagine. And we don't have to be nitpicky and hold on and stop. Why? We can so generously because I'll never be able to outgive my father's supply in heaven. And so I need you to understand his confidence was directly connected to the father's provision. My confidence in sowing needs to be directly connected to my father's provision. And so my generosity can flow. That's where I was going with the story. So now, because some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? Okay. He says something key. He goes, he goes this. He goes, I want you to be generous on every occasion. So he is, he is talking. I love dealing with the text, honestly, because the text preaches itself. So he goes, he goes, I want you to be generous. I want you to so I want you to believe God for material blessing. Why? So that you can be even great, more generous. Okay, great. And then he goes, but listen, listen. And the apostle Paul says, and through us, he's talking about the apostles, and through us, there'll be every kind of, you know, thanksgiving to God. So he says, and through us. Why is that so key, that through us, why? That tells me something in the, in the context of this scripture, that there was an intentional mission they had in mind when they were sowing. Yes, be generous, but sometimes you need to galvanize the community because there's an intentional mission that the community has that we all need to sow towards to get it done. And that's the biblical context. So now in our modern day times, do I hope and pray that you walk in generosity? Yes, but there, that's where there's a biblical mandate. There's a time and it's okay for a church to say, we have a focused mission that I'm galvanizing all the community, friends and frequent visitors that are here at the church and members that can we sow with a, with a focus towards what God wants to do. And I want you to know, church, on November 16th and 17th, we're simply practicing a biblical mantra, a biblical grounding to say, would you consider gathering any of your resources, your gifting, your finance, what God has given you, to sow towards the focused mission of Christ's church, which is uniting people to God. And what? People to people. And that's the hope that when you sow, you know it's a focus. It's a focus to say, church, yes, we want you to succeed. We'll be praying and we're praying that each of us prosper. But would you consider, like the Apostle Paul, through us, through us, the collective church that we sow, November 16th and 17th, that we sow in alignment to keep the mission going forward. Because some people say, well, well, the Bible just wants to promote generosity. I don't believe in the church or you got to give it towards the church. And I hear you, but the Apostle Paul didn't believe that. There was a specific mandate. He didn't say when you're generous, just that's great. He says through us, through this focused mission, through this focused mandate, they'll give thanksgiving to God. You see, when, when, when you're on mission, church, it's always easier for people to sow when there's a focused mission and mandate. You know what to sow for when you know, okay, I know I'm sowing towards a mission and a mandate. And, 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 and I believe when we sow, listen, it keeps the mission going forward. I believe there's an impact when we sow and we're to sow on mission. You know, interestingly enough, we know on Halloween that just passed, this great uh, story came out through ABC, ABC 7 New York. Great story in Maryland. In Maryland, 
uh, somebody had their camera on in the, you know, the, the what's, the, I forget the name of it, when the, when the camera shows what's going on on the porch. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have that and you check it, make sure your Amazon package came and, you know, anybody wanted to help yourself to your Amazon package, you, you made sure. So they had this, this camera and one, one kid, but they saw this one kid on Halloween, because we know what every kid's mission is on Halloween when they're out trick-or-treating is what? Get that candy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Get that. I know Halloween and Christians in church get a little nervous. Oh, it's the devil's birthday. No. So he had, the, he had the candy. And this person threw their little camera on the porch. They had a bowl with candy in it. And by the time it was that kid's turn, there was no more candy in the bowl. No more candy in the bowl. So he walked up. And they showed the video of this on ABC. And he looked in the bowl. Look back. No candy. So he just looks. And then what's crazy, the, the young man turns around. He looks at a distance. And he sees another little girl coming to come to the bowl. And what blew everybody's mind right away, he went right into his bag of candy and threw a little bit in the bowl and left. So when that next girl came, she had candy in her bowl. That little kid could teach us something. All that we need is in the house for the mission. When we sow, it's so the next person can be blessed off of what's going to come for the mission. And so I need you to see that when he sowed, he understood, I want to bless somebody else. That's what communal giving is about. When we sow, that you may not see it right away with your own eyes, and you may see certain things, but there's people coming after you. There was a little girl coming after him that he didn't want her hopes and dreams to be dashed. There's people coming after you when you sow that will receive from the blessing that you just gave. He understand the communal mission. He understood what that young girl was going to come looking for. He provided a way. He provided a way to say, I want her to enjoy it. A future person coming after me. So we learn now, we harvest inwardly. Sowing does something for our own hearts, right? Breaks off our own selfishness, knits me closer to the community. We learn that we harvest outwardly. There is material blessing connected to it. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he'll do it. And we know that it's so that we can even be more generous going forward. And lastly, we harvest upwardly. And it's that little phrase in verse 11. That little phrase, and through us. It will produce what? Say it together. Thanksgiving to God. The Apostle Paul had a very rich theology of what it meant to marry our resources to the gospel. And saying that God is also God, not just the little areas that we want to give him, but of all, our, of all areas of our lives. Very often, I must confess that if this message and your mindset and theology stings a little bit, it may be because this is an area we haven't fully submitted to God. Just like any other area where something could sting if we refuse to submit it to God. But it's rather clear, this doesn't take much, much exegeting 
is that we learn that you harvest inwardly, outwardly, now upwardly, that when we sow, it shouldn't be, wow, that's such a nice person. Look at them sow. That's great, but it shouldn't stop there. Wow, that's such a generous person. When we sow, it wouldn't be so, man, I want people to know I'm pretty generous. Like, look at my generosity. Super generous. It's not when we sow, he's super benevolent or she's great. I mean, she's phenomenal. It should, when we sow, there's something different about them. It must be the God they serve. That you meet needs in a way that it brings honor and glory to God. You see, our very essence and being, and when it comes to our livelihood here on this side of heaven, is to bring glory to God. And so when we sow, it's to say, man, there's a God working in them that they move in generosity to that degree it should so to say man it says it should be a release of thanksgiving to God a praise to God does anybody here know what I'm talking about when you've received a blessing when you've been on the receptive uh, you've been the receiver of a blessing financially or materially and you go man oh my god god you met my need how many have been there before to say god I didn't know that was going to get met I didn't realize you were going to show up I didn't realize this was going to happen but praise god it brought a praise to god that's what it should always go forward not just so they say oh that's a, you're a very nice person that's a great person if it's all about you that's not the end the end is to be all about God and say wow those people man they sow in such a way that it makes me want to thank God it makes me want to just take a pause to say who's the God you serve that it's so rich and that it brings honor and glory to him that there's a uniqueness that resonates with them. But so often, if we're, I know, I know. Listen, there's certain sermons that are sermons that you know uh, come in alignment with values of the culture. And you're like, man, people are going to run with that. Yes, that's great. It'll come in alignment. There's certain sermons that go perpendicular to some of the values in the culture. And when it comes to our finances, this is one of them. Because sometimes when it comes to that, it's like, oh, don't mess with my, don't play with me. Oh, that, ooh, uh, 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 uh. Church, get away, get away, get away. And, 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 and because sometimes you saw it mishandled or you saw we don't find, I get it. There, there's a skepticism. I've seen it mishandled. I've seen when I sow, uh, you know, you're, the, 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 the leaders get richer and the poor gets poorer. That's how you've seen it. And that's not the case here. But I do want to recognize that the, the harvest, listen, the harvest of praise is what it's all about. To say, God, I want you to turn people to you for your glory. And, and, and the truth be told, when we're hoarding, we can't take any of it with us anyway. One time, somebody asked the accountant of John D. Rockefeller, they asked the accountant, they said, how much money did John leave? One of the wealthiest men. How much money did John leave? The accountant said, he left all of it. In essence, he couldn't take it with him. We can't take it with you, listen, but we can't make sure it goes ahead of us for the worship and glory of God. 
You can't take your material good with you when we die. It's not like back in the day, the Egyptians, they would find, when they find these caskets or when they would find Egyptian pharaohs and all that, you'll see gold and everything thrown in there because they thought they can take it with them to the afterlife. And archaeologists made a come up. So they opened up the thing like, oh, this is where all the gold is. And they're like, okay, okay. So I promise you can't take it with you. But I can send it ahead of you. For the worship and the glory of God. Church, this is, this is, this is really not, now I'm not trying to be facetious or anything. It's really not rocket science. It's just that the reality is sometimes these types of messages, and of course, if we want to be faithful with preaching the gospel, I must preach the whole counsel of scripture. I can't, I can't remove certain parts of scripture. I mean, some of us would like to. I understand. I'm not. And so when we do it, it's going, okay, what does he say about this? And when I talked about a harvest outwardly, in very plain language, church, we're here today, right now, because somebody years before us sowed. We're able to worship freely because someone sowed before us. So their finances, their resources went forward so you and I could sit in this pew. may not be the most comfortable pew in the world, but you're sitting in it right now. It may not be the best, oh, you, you want a better worship team, but the worship team got me connected to the Lord right now. It may not be the sermon that swung off the chandeliers, but I get to hear the gospel. You and I are here today because somebody sold faithfully to continue the work of the Lord, and we get to praise and send up a worship to God right now, here and now. And all we're saying, let us continue on in the same vein, with the same focus, with the same sense of conviction to say, as for me and mine, on my wife, Watch, I'm going to continue to ensure that God gets glory and God gets praise and God gets honor while I'm here in the here and now and let my resources speak to that when we do it. Let us stand. Let us stand.